I want to invite you to open your copy of God's Word to the book of 2 Timothy. Now, if you're bringing uh, what you brought your James journals today, good for you. I'm glad you brought your James journals. We're, we're going to take a break uh, from the book of James. We're still in this series, Get Wise. But given the events of the last couple of weeks, I felt compelled as I was preparing the message for this week um, to, to shift the topic of our message today uh, to help us perhaps address some current realities. And uh, it, it honestly, I was halfway through writing this week's James message and I, I texted the elders and training, and I said, guys, I am just so burdened and broken by what is happening in our nation, in the world, and in our own part of the church of God at this time. I, I just, I said, I, I really feel like God is, is compelling me to shift this week's message, and and they graciously encouraged me to do that. So I'm sorry if you didn't bring uh, uh, an analog copy of the full Word of God. You can, of course, use the Uversion Bible app, and you will have all of today's message notes and the scriptures if you simply hit the More function down in the bottom right-hand corner, then Events, and hit Redeemer Baptist Church. You can save those. You can follow along with the notes as well, uh, the printed notes as well. So I want to invite you to read with me from the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to pick up uh, our reading from chapter 2, verse 19, and I'm going to read all the way through chapter 3, verse 9. So it's 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 3, 9. And it reads like this. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work." So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, 
that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. And this is God's holy, inerrant, and eternal word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its proclamation. I'm going to give you two warnings right now. Uh, first warning. I don't think I'm going to preach this without emotion. There are things that have happened in our nation and in our church as a denomination that should cut to the deepest part of us as human beings unless we are callous and hardened by sin. We all ought to be emotional. But I'm going to give this caveat to you. In the last two weeks of having COVID, I've had so much time to reflect on all that is happening and to read. And I am brokenhearted. So maybe I'm preaching this message to myself today alone. But I need to hear this. That's the first warning. The second warning is this. We are going to talk about things that are hard. Some of you, are beloved here, and people have done evil things to you. And I do not wish to hurt you more. So I'm going to try and preach as carefully as I can in order to try and avoid that. But the requirement of the church to do justice requires that we talk about the times in which we live and how we as believers must address them. So if you have a need, dear sisters or brother, to get up and leave, I understand. Because this is not easy.
and I do not wish for any of you to be harmed. We have been talking about what it means to live in godly wisdom. The whole theme of the book of James is godly wisdom, and we we are going to return to that. But in today's text, I want us to see that Paul is writing to Timothy with the same theme, except he's emphasizing the role of spiritual leaders. That's part of the reason I'm, I'm saying maybe I'm just preaching this primarily to myself. But it is also true that everything he's going to point out applies to all followers of Jesus. And he's going to make four key arguments in the passage that I read. That is that living in godly wisdom requires that Jesus' followers understand the times in which they live, that God has put them in, to which they have been assigned by their creator in his sovereign hand. They must understand the times. They must be prepared to cleanse their own lives and their church of anything that keeps them from being useful to their master. They must be ready to lead and to serve, regardless of the cost. And they must remember and rest in the gospel. So those will be the four themes. Understand our times, Cleanse our lives and our church that we might be useful. Lead and serve regardless of the cost. And remember and rest in the good news. What do I mean by understand our times? By our times, I mean our era, our moment. In Greek, there are multiple words for time. One word has to do with what we might think of as chronological time, the time, you know, what time is it? But there are other words for time that mean the epoch, the period, the moment in which we find ourselves. That word is is kairos. Here, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.1, he says, Timothy understand this. Now, he wants Timothy to grasp something. He says, recognize this, that in the last days, there will come terrible or hard times of difficulty. In the last days, there will come terrible or hard times of difficulty. We are called as believers to understand the reality of our times. In the Old Testament, First Chronicles, Chapter 12, verse 32, we are told of the men who came to serve David and the different skills that they had. So the Benjaminites were were brought to David, for example, and they were skilled with the sling. And then we find that the men of Issachar came to serve David. And it says in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, that the men of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel, the people of God, ought to do. And we need men and women who understand the moment that God has put them in. 
and what the people of God are called to do. Now, you say, well, you know, Paul says things are going to be hard in the last days. Yes, well, good news for you. You live in the last days. How do I know this? Because the last days in the New Testament always refers not to some future chronological period, but the immediate moment that believers find themselves in. It's the moment between the inauguration of the kingdom, when Jesus came, lived the perfect life that we could not have lived, died the atoning death that we were supposed to die, ascended to the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us, and the moment when he returns. Everything in between Jesus' ascension and his moment of return is the last days. You don't need to think the last days are coming. They're already here. In fact, in Acts, you will see that the apostles referred to their days, 2,000 years ago, as the last days. Throughout the New Testament, the last days is the days in which believers find themselves living until Jesus returns. Now that means that there's some things that we need to think about. It means we do not give in to the temptation that Ecclesiastes calls foolishness or not wisdom to look back at some period of time and say, well, gosh, things were better when I was a kid. Well, maybe for you they were, but looking around this room, I can tell you that for no one who was a person of color was your childhood better. That is just factually not true in the United States of America. It was not better for people in Cambodia when you were a child. So you need to understand that your times and the times in which you live are not merely assessed on whether or not things were good for you or your particular people group or your particular nation, but whether or not they were actually good for all of God's creatures, particularly those of the human race around the world. So we don't look back and say, why were the former days better than these? Listen, Solomon lived 3,000 years ago, and he said, that's a stupid question to ask. So don't be stupid. We also do not deny or minimize the progressive reality of evil. Paul's going to say to Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And what he's saying is this. Evil people will always find ways to get more wicked. So whatever means of government or resources or tools they need to use whether that is spears or nuclear weapons, they will find ways to make themselves more wicked because they are deceived and being deceived. With that context, let me say this. 
We are going through a hard time in this nation. Sociologists are very worried about America. It is a matter of fact that social groupings in the United States are more divided than they have been at any time since the Civil War. We have increased social isolation and political division. On January 6th, make no mistake, in January 6th of last year, there was an insurrection, an attempt at treason to overthrow the government of the United States by evil and wicked men. We have a foolish and nonsensical cult in the United States called QAnon that is held to by anywhere from 20 to 40% of the evangelical church. And in this year, and it is May 29th, there have been 213 mass shootings. There have not been 213 days in this year. Two hundred and thirteen. That was through May 25th. I know there was at least one attempted mass shooting that was stopped in just the last four days. In the last two weeks, on May 14th, an 18-year-old went into a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, to hunt and kill black people. They buried a 96-year-old great-grandmother yesterday. Two weeks ago today, a man went into a church in Orange County and attempted to murder as many church members as he could. Stopped only by a doctor who threw himself over the gunman, allowing the other congregants, all senior adults, to hogtie this person. And then there is the absolutely reprehensible evil that we saw just five days ago in Uvalde, Texas. Nineteen children so far deceased, thirteen others or so critically or otherwise injured, two parents, teachers, one of whom her husband died the next day. And absolutely, and let me say this very clearly, as an officer trained in active shooter protocol, heinous, criminal, foolish, unbelievable, and evil act by 19 police officers who failed to do their job. All of whom 
deserve justice. Stop, failed to stop this, this evil. Around the world, we know the reality of a global super pandemic, an evil unjustified attack on Ukraine resulting in at least 5 million displaced people. I saw photos and video within the last 24 hours of a section of Donbass where the sky is lit, lit, lit up and it looks like every star in the sky is dropping onto this one city in East Ukraine and it is Every one of those lights, a shell hitting the ground. I saw a Ukrainian man sitting on the ground, curled up in a ball, everything around him destroyed. Because of that war, some of the poorest nations on the earth in the eastern horn of Africa are going to face mass starvation because they get their grain from Ukraine. Pornography runs rampant globally. And in the church, racism White conservative nationalism. In one single survey done by Samuel Perry, who is a believer, some 20% or so, some 30-something percent of conservative evangelical self-identifying said that the freedom to bear arms is more important than the freedom of religion. We worship guns. And then there's this. I had to listen to this being printed. 288 pages detailing the failures of your Southern Baptist Executive Committee to protect sexually abused women, children, and men in just the last 20 years. There's a 75-page supplement to this. For 20 years, our convention ignored women like Krista Brown, Debbie Vasquez, Hannah Kate Williams, and dozens more victims who begged our spiritual leaders to protect them. Instead, they were demonified, dehumanized, and treated like they were evil so that these men could protect their friends. It is an utter and heinous evil. 
while telling Southern Baptists that nothing could be done, their own attorneys 15 years ago had advised them that a database was possible, legal, minimally risky, and advisable. They maintained a private database of over 700 offenders and told the Southern Baptist Convention churches nothing could be done to protect the weakest amongst us. Contained in the report is a graphic and detailed account of a credible sexual assault by a man who until nine days ago was vice president of the North American Mission Board and former pastor of one of the top 10 largest SBC churches. Do you understand the times in which you live? Do we have men and women of Issachar who know what the people of God are called to do? Sinful behaviors are increasingly normalized. Violence, sexual assault, racism, pornography, abortion, religious hypocrisy, and nationalism are all justified. Paul said to Timothy, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I see myself in that list. Within the church, we have accepted all kinds of false teaching on the right and on the left, from prosperity gospel to a nationalistic false gospel. We've minimized justice and called it pragmatism and partiality so that we could continue to listen to evil men speaking falsehoods on Fox News. The time is coming, Paul said to Timothy, where people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers named Tucker Carlson and many others like him to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths rather than reality. We've tolerated narcissistic religious leaders who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. The head of the G3 conference, a former Southern Baptist pastor, literally told Southern Baptists this week he was worried about us wandering off into pragmatism because we're actually trying to do something about the sexual assault of thousands of children. Sexual predators and power-hungry leaders are widely followed. This morning, 
at one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in our convention, a man who was removed from leading one of our seminaries for his failure to report sexual abuse and his abuse personally of sexual abuse survivors where he emotionally abused them. This man is preaching before God's people at First Baptist Dallas. I want to vomit. We're supposed to be afraid of women Bible study leaders speaking on Sunday morning on Mother's Day and tolerate a man who knew that a, one of his protégés was a sexual predator and moved him to multiple churches so he could abuse other women there. Paul said to Timothy, among these false teachers are those who, who creep, they worm their way into households, into homes, and they capture weak and do not think by weak here what is intended is some flaw of character, but vulnerable. Vulnerable women are captured by these false teachers, and they manipulate the women's burden of shame and guilt they manipulate the women's various passions. They keep them from ever learning the truth. Praise God, He is sovereign, and their foolish sinfulness will be exposed. Unfortunately, that will often come at the cost of the name of God blasphemed by unbelievers. In the last 14 days, Southern Baptists have been named on CNN, BBC, Associated Press, Reuters, the Houston Chronicle, and countless others as they detail the sins of our leaders. And they should. For we covered up sin. And now the unbelieving world is looking at us and said, what of your gospel? Paul says to Timothy, just as Janus and Jambres, these are Pharaoh's wise men, opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. They are corrupted in their minds and they are disqualified regarding the faith. Theologians argue, does that mean they're disqualified from spiritual leadership or does it mean more seriously they're disqualified from even being believers? But they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all as it was to those of two men. Jesus said, whatever is hidden, I will bring out into the light. If there is any good news in these reports, it is that that which has been hidden for decades is coming to the light. And brothers and sisters, I am here to tell you today, it is going to get much, 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 much worse. Because this is just your Southern Baptist Executive Committee. This does not include... 
reports from our six seminaries, our International Mission Board, which is our largest agency of employment, and our North American Mission Board. In the next few years, we are going to go through some incredibly painful exposures. I believe we are facing God's disciplinary judgment. Peter would say to the church, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Unless you think that is something that is so terrible, can I remind you of the words of Jesus to the churches of his day? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. There is a moment that is before our churches and our denomination for us to be zealous and repent. Whatever gospel witness we have left is contingent on whether or not we actually follow our Savior now that our sins are exposed. We must understand the times. You can hide from it. You can blame the media. Listen, let me tell you something. If it was not for Rob Downen and Liam Adams and countless reporters like them, we wouldn't know this sin. Praise God for reporters. Stop bashing on the media. They're doing the job the church should have done. If the people of God will not speak righteousness and truth, God will use donkeys if he has to. So what do we do? It's easy to say the sin is out there. But I don't know how we read these lists and not see ourselves in them. So, wisdom requires that we cleanse our lives and our churches so that we can be useful to God. Paul says to Timothy, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Let me be graphic here. Some you urinate in. Some you serve food to your guests in. That's what Paul is saying. And then he says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. The question that lies before every believer in this day and time is this.
Do we want to cleanse our lives of the idolatries and sins and the way we've ignored sins in the past in order to be useful to the master, fit for him, holy and set apart? Or do we want to see the sin as somebody else, some other political party, some other group of people, some other nefarious bad guys out there? That will not make us useful to the master. No, we must start with ourselves. We must kill sin. Or as John Owen says, if you don't kill sin, it will be killing you. Paul writes to the Colossians, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. Yes, that includes things like sexual immorality and impurity, passion and evil desire, but it also includes covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, for on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We must kill sin, and we must surrender our lives to God. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, in response to the times in which you live, here's what you do. Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one who's approved by God, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He goes on to admonish him, focus and work on God's priorities, not your own, Timothy. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He goes on to say, Timothy... I need you to train yourself in godliness. Grow in godliness. And godliness, brothers and sisters, is not mere goodness or niceness or kindness. It is God-centeredness and God-likeness. It means your life is about God and you become more like God as you were created to be. And he says, Timothy, train yourself in godliness. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Train yourself for godliness, for to this end, godliness, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. In other words, because he has a hope set on what Jesus has done, he works out the reality of his salvation. He trains himself in godliness. Because that God who is their hope is the Savior of all people, those who have faith. It means we flee our own sinful desires. Paul's going to say to Timothy, flee youthful passions. You say, well, good thing I'm not a youth anymore. Well, he writes to the Corinthians, flee immorality. And then he goes on to say to all of them, flee idolatry. He's going to write to Timothy and say, flee the pursuit of wealth and by that, he means comfort and power, not simply the possession itself. There are things we are not just to flee, but to pursue. He says, Timothy, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. 
This report would not exist if our leaders were committed to pursuing righteousness. Instead, they pursued the protection of their friends. I do not know how a single one of those law enforcement officers in Uvalde will ever look in the mirror and say, I pursued righteousness. It was the wrong thing. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. Paul will write to Timothy in his first letter, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight, Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold. Seize the eternal life to which you are called. And don't let go of it. Brothers and sisters, it is not enough to turn away from sin. Our lives are always in pursuit of something. And we don't do this alone. We do it together. Paul says, Timothy, flee these things, pursue these things, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Verse 22. You can't do it on your own. As Tim Keller says, you will neither know God change deeply, or save the world on your own. You need the church. That's why the author of Hebrews says things like, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. All of us can be deceived, brothers and sisters. When investigators went to the vice president of the North American Mission Board and asked him questions he denied even knowing the victim that he sexually assaulted or her husband, which was a patent untruth as there were multiple witnesses that they had in fact known each other for decades. When asked in a second round of interviews whether or not he had sexual contact with this woman, he lied and said no. But that time he admitted he knew her and her husband and had vacationed with her. What do you think happened? I have, within the last two years, stood in the room with that man in a room smaller than this one. How could my brother be so hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Was no one in the church exhorting him? The author of Hebrews goes on to say, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We exhort and encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you think the, the end of the end times is coming, then do this more. 
We must understand the times and we must be ready to clean house. And we start by cleaning our own lives. What is it that's in your heart and life that's keeping you from being useful to the Lord? It may not be the sins that are being made so public. What is it that would not be holy? It is not enough to cleanse our lives and our church. We must lead and serve others. We have had a catastrophic failure of leadership. I cannot believe that out of 19 officers standing in a hallway, none of them did what they were all trained to do, which is to tell a commanding officer to go pound sand and that they were going through the door. That's what they were trained to do. I know because I was trained to do that. I cannot believe that leader after leader knew about the sexual assaults and cover-ups of sexual assaults in our convention, and none of them thought they needed to lead God's people to do the right thing. Two days ago, I tweeted at the president of the International Mission Board a quote from a former president of the International Mission Board written in a letter in which he said he saw no benefit whatsoever to Southern Baptists to having their worst known sexual predator named publicly. No benefit to Southern Baptists. It's called holiness. It's called justice. It's called the protection of the innocent. Where were the Lord's servants? Paul says, the Lord's servant. See, here's the thing. I doubt in Texas that you get 19 cops in a room and some of them aren't claiming the name of Jesus. I doubt that amongst all of these leaders, these are all false brothers in Christ. No, there are genuine brothers in there. And they forgot who they serve. They are the Lord's servant. And so are we. We serve by being an example. Paul says, Timothy, Timothy, he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Timothy, be an example. Keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, and on your doctrine, on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will both save yourself and your hearers. There are brothers and sisters today who struggle with this on one side or the other. They want to keep a close watch on doctrine, but they don't want to keep a close watch on their own lives. And there are other people who want to keep a close watch on their lives, but don't care what doctrine is being taught. Paul says, keep a close watch on both. 
He says the Lord's servants cannot be quarrelsome and petty. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, patiently enduring evil. And he's saying that about evil done to them personally. There are matters that are trivial and not worth fighting over. This last week, in the midst of all of the tragedies that we've been talking about, I have watched on Twitter as one Theo bro after another attacks a Baylor PhD student and tell her that she should not be in seminary because she is a woman. Foolish, ignorant controversies. You've got things that really matter going on. Some people like bickering. Paul says there's people, he says, Timothy, there's some people that have an unhealthy craving for controversy. They like quarreling about words. They, they, those quarrels produce envy, dissension, that's division, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among the people of God who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Let me tell you something. There are leaders who use the fact that they can get you two to disagree about things that don't matter to keep you from focusing on the things that do matter. And you want to see examples of that? Look at most of the politicians' responses to Uvalde. How hard is it for us to figure out that 18-year-olds shouldn't have assault rifles? We don't let them drink beer for crying out loud. How hard is it to figure out that we require licenses for cars, but not for AR-15s? This is not rocket science. There are... Tons of resources that need to be poured into mental health issues in the United States. Instead, our politicians pose for photo ops and nothing gets done. The Lord's servant must contend for truth and justice. That is truth applied to reality. If you only have a doctrine that you don't obey, it doesn't matter how pure your doctrine is. Ever. The Lord's servant must be able to teach and correct his opponents with gentleness because there are things that do matter. Micah 6.8 He's told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to study your Bible and do nothing about it. That is not what that passage says, by the way, in case you don't know Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice. Do it. Enact justice. That means protect the weak. Protect the vulnerable. Bring to light that which is sinful. When it's in your power to do the right thing and you fail to do it, James says, it's a sin. Do justice. Love, mercy, or kindness. God's Hasidic love. Walk humbly with your God. 
And the Lord's servant must trust that God is at work. I feel like so many of my brothers just gave up on fighting because they stopped believing that God was at work. They thought the forces against them were too big. Nothing could be done. I know if some of those cops had entered that room, some of them would have been shot. But they were unwilling to entrust themselves to a God who could protect them. Last summer, our convention was getting ready to vote to approve this. It took six months of fighting on the executive board to even get this thing kicked off after that. And the politicians in our convention, wanting to protect their friends and hide their nefarious deeds, called behind the curtain their leaders of the motion that were trying to ask for this. And they tried to manipulate them. But those brothers did not listen. They entrusted themselves to a God who was at work. They stood next to female survivors at the microphones and they said, we demand accountability. And when the leaders used procedures to try and stop it from happening, a small church pastor from Indiana, Todd Banker, had the courage given by God and the belief that God was at work to walk to a microphone and ask the entire Southern Baptist Convention to overrule the parliamentarian and all of the leaders that were there and tell them they're wrong. And 80% of the messengers did that because God is at work. Do you believe that God is at work? Leaders trust that God is at work. God may perhaps grant them repentance. I pray that is true. I pray for all these people that God may grant them repentance. The man credibly accused of sexual assault has led thousands of people to personal faith in Jesus. And every one of those people are hurting right now. Because the man they believed about Jesus did a heinous evil. You know what he could do? He could repent. Not lie like he has. So pray for the repentance that leads to the knowledge of truth, to belief that God is greater than your abounding sin. Some have been captured by Satan to do his will, but God can free them. Brothers and sisters, my heart is heavy because I cannot pretend that I did not know. From the time I was 14, I knew of a sexual predator within the International Mission Board who had assaulted 
dozens of my friends. And we were all too scared to do anything about it. I have known of the cover-ups within our own California convention. I pastored a church where there was a cover-up, not with me, but with the pastors that had gone before me. May God have mercy. It is time for leaders, the Lord's servants, to arise And call evil, evil. Sin, sin. Not calling that which is evil, good. Or that which is good, evil. Finally, Paul says, Timothy, in this fight that you're in, in these evil times, remember and rest in the gospel. Look at 2 Timothy 2.19. He says, Timothy, remember the foundation God's firm foundation is this. It bears the seal of God. It's the stamp of God in the foundation concrete of your spiritual life. Two things. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Two things. God's sovereign hand in salvation and his transforming work of grace. God calls people to be his children, saves them by the work of his son, Jesus Christ, and empowers them by the Holy Spirit to leave sin behind and walk in freedom. So remember who we are apart from God's grace and what Jesus has done about it. Scholars point out that when Paul started writing some of his earlier letters, he would say things like, I'm the, I'm the littlest or the latest of the apostles. By the time he writes this last letter, likely his very, very last letter to Timothy, he says, I am the foremost of sinners. See, the longer you're a believer, the greater the likelihood is that you will be aware of your sinfulness even as you grow more and more like Jesus. Because all of us, apart from the grace of God, know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and each of us begins by pointing the finger at ourselves and not other people. Remember the life-giving grace of Jesus. Paul says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. You would think that would be obvious, but we all forget Jesus, don't we? Remember Jesus risen from the dead, Timothy. He's the offspring of David. He's everything that God has promised as the Messiah. It's the good news that I preach to you. And he's not in the grave. He is out of the grave because God takes dead things and makes them come to life, Timothy. And he can take you wherever you are spiritually. You can be spiritually dead and he can make you come to life. Remember the transforming power of Jesus. Paul writes to the Corinthians, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. 
On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. None of us leaves today's service powerless. We've been given a spirit of power, not of timidity. And that spirit indwells us and has the objective of making us into the image of Jesus. You say, but I am so far from that. And I say, me too. But good news, he always gets his job done. And his grace is greater. So brothers and sisters, I know this message has been long. But I'm going to ask you this. I want to ask you, close your Bibles, close your apps, close everything. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and I'm going to ask you these questions. These are questions I've been asking myself. I told you I'm preaching this sermon to myself. So now I'm preaching it to you. Where have you failed to understand these times? Where have you hid yourself from the truth because the truth was inconvenient to your political party or to what it might say about your group or your friends? Where have you failed to see the truth that you find in the mirror of God's Word? Second question. What do you need to get out of your life in order to be useful to God? What is it that the Holy Spirit is asking you to give up right now, today? To get out so that you can be a vessel fit for the King. Third question. How does God want you to lead? Who does he want you to serve? You are the Lord's servant. Who does he want you to serve and how does he want you to do it? Have you given in to pettiness? Are you contending for truth and justice? Are you trusting that God is at work? And then the fourth question. What's your foundation? See, here's the thing. I'm so tired of people saying their foundation is in the Constitution of the United States. Listen, the Constitution of the United States can go away and the kingdom of God will succeed. Our foundation cannot be in government documents. It cannot be in our own righteousness. It cannot be in our political party. What makes you know you are safe with the living God? And if it is not the blood of Jesus Christ, I beg of you today to repent and turn to Him. And maybe those questions aren't the questions that God's talking to you about right now, but I would urge you to listen to Him. Let His voice speak into your heart and life. We're going we're to have a moment of silence, Jason. We're just going to let God speak to us. And then I'm going to Close us in prayer and then you lead us in song.
O Spirit of the living God, forgive us where we have not understood our times, where we have hid ourselves from the truth. Cleanse us. Make us fit vessels. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you need to get out of our lives, we ask for that to be removed today. Begin us on a journey towards holiness and pursuit of righteousness. Give us the courage to lead and to serve in matters of justice and righteousness. To lay off the petty and the foolish. God, keep us from having any other foundation or hope than the blood and sacrificial gift of your son as our substitute. It's in his name that we pray and ask these things for ourselves, for one another, for our denomination, for our nation. Amen.